Amen, amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing? They're a little bit more alive than the uh, 8.30 service, so that's, that is good. Man, we are excited that you are here uh, this morning, that it quit raining on you guys before you got here. Um, and so it's a little bit more of a packed house this hour than it was, than it was last hour. But I get the privilege to, to fill in for Bart this morning. He is currently in Honduras with the team. Um, so y'all be praying on or praying for them as they're there. And then Randy as well, he's getting ready to head out of town. Um, and so they thought it was a good idea to leave the church building to me, Kyle, Danny, and Dustin, not very smart. Um, and so, you know, we, we were joking around, well, I guess we'll cancel two services today. They'll never know, you know. But if you're watching online, Bart, Randy, we're not doing that. So, uh, but man, we are excited that you were here this morning. Um, as you know, we just got finished with our Broken Pieces uh, sermon series, and now we're picking back up for the next two weeks um, in Galatians to continue our No Longer I series. Randy will wrap that up next week. Um, and so, but I'm excited about this morning. I'm glad that you were here. It is the first weekend of summer, so I'm thankful for that you are here and not you know, taking vacation as quick as you possibly can. Um, I know students are excited um, that summer is finally here. There's a lot going on in the life of our church. The kids, they're leaving for camp this week. Uh, Students, we leave for camp in July. Shameless plug, if you haven't signed up for camp, students, parents, you should, ASAP. uh, Go ahead and reserve your spot. Uh, There's a whole calendar list of things out there that you can pick up for students. Um, and kids get with Dustin, what all they have going on this summer. But a lot of stuff is going on this summer in the life of our church. But man, I'm excited about this morning just to continue in this series. I wanted to open up the message this morning by asking you a question and posing um, a situation to you. And I want you to think um, in your mind of what your answer would be. So, so imagine this, imagine you uh, are in a courtroom and you, and you take the stand before a judge and a jury. And they look at you and tell you, I mean, you're being tried for being a Christian. We want to prove that you are or you're not a follower of Jesus. And so you get up, friends and family are around you in the room, and you take the witness stand. And the prosecutors begin to ask you questions. They begin to ask you questions like this, are you a drunkard? Is sexual immorality very evident in your life? Is that something you struggle with? What about idolatry? Do you worship other things before God? Do you put things ahead of him? What about dissensions? Do you have division in your life? Are you one that causes division in other people's lives? Are you angry? Are you a pretty arrogant person? And they begin to ask you all these and begin to paint this picture of, are you a Christ follower? Or are you someone who follows the world? And then they switch up the questions and they ask you these questions. Is love evident in your life? Or are you one that love others? Are you a joyful person or are you angry all the time? Are you a peacemaker? Or do you like to stir up trouble? Patience. Is that something you struggle with or is that something you just knock out of the park? Then they go on and ask you, are you gentle or are you kind? How are you when you're dealing with other people who may not view things the way that you do? How are you when, when trials come? Are you, are you a good person? Do you love your enemies? Are you faithful? 
Are you faithful to the church? Are you faithful to Christ himself? Are you a meek person? Do you show humility? Do you approach your neighbors with humility? Do you approach God with humility? And they close it with this one. Do you show self-control? Or do you lack self-control? What is it? And you sit there and you begin to truly examine your life. Wanting to answer these questions truthfully. And as you begin to sit there and think on these things. Instances begin to play back in your head. Of things that have happened and things that have taken place in your life. You, you begin to, to go back to maybe when you got saved or you begin to go back to high school, you begin to go back to even middle school. Maybe you went back a week ago and instances begin to, situations begin to play back in your mind. What would your answer be? Guilty or not guilty? I want you to think about that this morning as we look at a passage of scripture in Galatians. Because that's the question that when you leave here this morning, I want you to be able to answer. And if we're being honest, before we jump in, some of our answers may be not guilty, but the good news is, is we serve a God who redeems, we serve a God who changes us from the inside out, and he wants to do a work in your life this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I just ask that you open up with me to Galatians chapter five. <clears throat> and we're gonna start in verse 18. And we're gonna read through verse 24 and it says this. <clears throat> but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you. And these are some of the darkest words in Scripture. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul here lays out, before he jumps into really where we're going to camp out this morning, he lays out and says, hey, if you want to know how not to inherit the kingdom of God, this is what you need to be about. This, these are the things that should be evident in your life if you want to follow the world, if you don't want your eternity secure in heaven, if you don't want to be a Christ follower, this is, it's real simple. Here's what you do. Just follow the world. You be what the world is about. And we're not going to camp out there this morning because if we're being honest, what we're fixing to talk about trumps these things. And these are the things that I think are harder for us to do than those. So let's pick back up in verse 22. And he says this, but the fruit of the spirit <clears throat> is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So then he lays out the evidence that should be in our life. If we are a believer in Christ, this isn't something you just pick and choose from. 
This isn't something you, you can choose what you want to do and what you don't want to do. That's not the case here. Paul is telling us, hey, listen, you Christ follower, here is a list of things that should be evident in your life. And I want us to take a look at those this morning. And I encourage you to see if any of these things aren't evident. And then ask yourself why. What, what's missing? What's gotten in the way that these are not evident? Randy a couple weeks ago hit on the importance of the Holy Spirit in this so we won't get there. But I just want us to take a few moments this morning and literally just unpack every single one of these briefly. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the first service, this easily could be a nine-week sermon series, and I get that, okay? Um, but just track with me this morning because we are going to fly through each one of these. And I just want us to talk about them briefly because I think if you and I grasp what it means to have these in our life, A, people are going to notice, and B, you're going to understand the reason because when you enter into those moments and those seasons of life when things are difficult and these are evident, you begin to see the importance and you begin to see the why behind Paul telling us the reason for these. And so the first one, let's start on this this journey, the number one of nine. First fruit that that Paul talks about here is love. And if you're like me, um, you know, when I hear love, literally one of the first things I think about is the song, What is Love? Um, And we're not going to go into all that, but uh, classic song, um, you know, but let's answer that question. What is love? Right? What is love? And if you were to go out on the streets to ask people, I can guarantee you, if you go poll a hundred people and tell them to give you the definition of love, you're going to get a hundred different definitions. Because everybody's view of this word love is different. Why? Because so many people have watered down this word just to a simple feeling. When you say love, you think some ooey gooey kind of feeling. You think some words that you say to someone when it's convenient for you. One of the Greek words for love is is agape. You know, but I'm also reminded in John 15, verse 13, it says this. This is a love that for some of us is is pretty difficult. It's greater love has no, excuse me, has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Church, listen to me. The ultimate expression of godly love is the willingness to put your life on the line for others. And I don't just mean willing to put your life on the line for your son or your daughter, your husband or your wife. I mean for anyone at any given moment. What would that look like for us to truly take on this concept of love and not this Valentine's Day once a year kind of love? I mean this true sacrificial love that God is calling us to. This this love that's mentioned in in Mark 12, 31, where he tells us to to love our neighbor as ourselves. So many of us are good at loving. It's just we're so good at loving ourselves. And we're not very good at loving others. And that's where we struggle. And that's where maybe, maybe that's where you're at this morning. Let me tell you what else it says about love. In John 13, 35, it says this. It says, all men will know 
that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for those people that you work next to that you can't stand. If you have love for your enemies. If you have love for the neighbor next door to you that has different political views than you and and likes a different sports team than you and goes to a different church than you and all these other differences, you realize that for us today in society, the one thing that causes us not to love other people is our differences. And God is saying, listen, people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, if you have love for everyone. And if Christ is indeed working in your life, it will be evident how you love other people. Maybe you're like me and that, that's, hard. that's hard to do, but let me ask you this question. What are you willing to do with your life? Are you willing to lay it down for people that you know or don't know? I'm reminded of the college student a month or two ago, I think it was at uh, UNC, who, who charged or tackled the gunman that was there and literally saved lives of countless students and gave his up. Probably didn't know a lot of those students that were there, but he showed what, what true love was because he laid his life down for others. But let, let's go way past that. Let's go to Christ himself. You want to know what love is? Look what he did for you and me on the cross some 2,000 years ago. That's the kind of love that, that Paul is talking about here. Man, is love evident in your life? Or is it something that you just decide to do when it's convenient, when it's easy? Or you just decide to love people who are easy to love? What would it look like for you to love everyone? The second thing he talks about here is joy. In John 15, 11, Christ is speaking here and he says this. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. That word joy in the Greek literally means cheerfulness. Cheerfulness and, and gladness and let me ask you this question this morning. When you face trials in your life, what's your attitude like? How mad do you get at God? Or are you glad that you're in the middle of a trial? Are you cheerful? Do you have joy? Or do you show anger? Do you show resentment? Do you show bitterness? When Christ has clearly told us to be joyful in all circumstances, even when it's hard to find joy, I think all of us can go back to a time in our life where joy was absent and you were bitter, you were angry at God. And looking back, you see now exactly how God brought you through that. And you wonder sometimes, why do we get so down? And God is calling us to say, hey, he's telling us, listen, be joy, be joyful, have joy in your life. Joy is contagious. And as a believer, when you become angry at God, you're telling other people that when, when times get tough, that's our scapegoat. And God is saying, no, when times get tough, I've still got you. I'm still the same God in your life when things, is go when things are going good. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, we read this, that you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness or joy above your fellow people. Listen, church, 
As believers, as Christians, we are judged according to what we do with what we have in the time that we are given. What is your response to what you've been given in the time that you have? Because the God that I serve knows exactly what we need and when we need it. And he's just calling us just to be joyful that God is still providing for us. You know, we can look back and we can see exactly how God has worked in our lives and we're joyous about that. And for whatever reason, we're always joyful about the past, but the present is where we struggle. We're we're joyful for what God has brought us through, but we're not joyful for where he has us at currently. Are you joyous with what God has given you? Be joyful for what he's what he's brought your way. Be joyful for where he has you. Because if you're joyful, that leads you to a peace in him. And that's the third evidence of having God's Holy Spirit working in you. John 14, 27 says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That Greek word for peace there is translated as quietness or, or rest. They're, they're, this is basically saying this is someone who doesn't stir the pot. This is someone who's, who's all about peace. As Christians are those who remain peaceful through trials and even the negative times in our life. But Jamie, what if, it's, what if it's hard? My attitude a lot during these times isn't very peaceful. You know, I'm, I'm one to be aggressive, but Christ made, it, made himself clear to us that you and I are to be peacemakers. Because when we're peacemakers, we're showing people what Christ truly looks like. Because I don't know about you, but ever since I've known Christ, man, he's brought a crazy amount of peace into my life. That even in the middle of those troubled times, even in the middle of that fire, we can have peace because we know God is there. Growing up, let's just say I wasn't a peacemaker, okay? I grew up, I was the oldest of two. Uh, me and my brother, we fought a lot. By a lot, I mean a lot. Um, and even, even when I was playing football, got into several fights in the locker room uh, for, I don't even remember why, but they were stupid. But anyways, got in fights and had to run a lot because of those fights. But I remember graduation night. Obviously, we have students in here that just graduated. And so graduation night for you was like just a couple of days ago. Graduation night for me was a while ago. Um, But I remember vividly that Friday night, we did graduation in Fairhope, Alabama, out on the football field, humidity and all. Um, At least you have graduation in AC, okay? Be thankful of that, even though it is in the worst place in Fort Worth to park at. I get it. Uh, And so it makes zero sense. I don't understand why. But um, I remember as graduation was over, we were all celebrating, and a group of my buddies, we were all sitting around in a circle, just hanging out, talking. You know, talking about, oh, man, do you remember when we played so-and-so here, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I asked one of them, I said, hey, let me just ask you this question. Um, are you a believer? Like, I'm not sure if you go to church anywhere. 
He says, yeah, actually, I, I got saved at Matt's funeral. Matt was a good friend of ours who had took, uh, taken his life in, in eighth grade, and the, the funeral was massive, and we had several friends that came to know Christ at his funeral, and God turned, you know, tragedy into triumph, and it was awesome. And, you know, they said, yeah, you know, we actually came to Christ there. We go to so-and-so church. It's like, oh, that's cool. You know, and, and I knew these guys. I grew up with these guys. And then they looked at me, and I'll never forget the words that they said. They said, but are you a believer? And I said, yeah, but I said, yeah, you know, I go to church. You know, the classic line as a teenager, I go to church. And they looked at me and said, well, we wouldn't know because, man, you, you sure did like to, to stir things up in the locker room. You know, the things you said drove division amongst people. I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks to realize that I now see the reason God has called us to have peace. Because when you and I take on peace, when you and I have peace evident in our life, people take notice. And in Matthew chapter five, verse nine, it tells us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And that didn't ring, ever ring more true than that night standing on that football field, realizing that I had dropped the ball for at least four years. That I had wasted countless opportunities. Why? Because I wasn't one that took on peace. I didn't, as it says in Matthew 5, 39, I didn't turn the other cheek. And I hope that you were guilty of being a peacemaker. But if you're not, what if all Christians acted upon the peace that God had called us to? What, what if that's what we were about? What if people knew us by, man, this person doesn't stir up trouble. This person doesn't stir the pot. This person always brings peace to the situation. This person always brings peace at work. What if your family was known about being just a peaceful family? Let me tell you this, because I've lived through it. People will take notice if peace is evident in your life. Fourth thing that Paul begins to talk about is patience. And this, this patience is this idea of enduring through the trials. Not, not jumping ship as we often want to when things get tough, but remaining steadfast. But you may ask me, Jamie, what if it's hard? Like, you don't know my circumstance. You don't understand how hard it is. If I just could quit now, if I can drop what I'm doing, if I can just leave, it'll be better. If I could just leave my marriage, Jamie, it would make it so much easier. If I could just leave my job, even though I don't have anything lined up, but you can't provide for your family, well, I'll figure something out. But if I can just get out, What if I reminded you of this passage right here, Romans 8, 28? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. To those people that realize that life is tough, to those people that realize this idea of patience it's a good thing to realize that it's okay just to sit there in the fire knowing that God is with you. That it is worth remaining patient. 
And let me tell you, this is coming out of the mouth of one of the most impatient people you'll ever meet. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in Houston at five o'clock, you may ask yourself, am I really a believer? Okay. All right. If you've been in Dallas traffic at five o'clock, you may ask yourself the same thing. If you've been through construction on 45, that's been going on since the 1920s. You may ask yourself the same thing. But Jamie, I don't have road rage. I'm good. Okay. How has your patience been in the DMV than the last time you were there? Were you there for three days? Right? Let's be real. We all are impatient. Patience is one of the hardest things, especially when you realize that Paul is telling us, don't just be patient in traffic. Be patient through the storms of life, knowing that God has a purpose. And so many times as believers, we want to jump ship because that's what the world tells you. Hey, if it's not easy, get out. If it's hard, just quit. Why wait? It's like that, that Snickers commercial. You're hungry? Why wait? Go ahead and eat a Snickers. And God is telling you, no. Just be patient. Just trust in me that I will get you through this storm of life. Matthew 10, 22 says this, and you shall be hated by all men for my name's sake, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. That even when it's hard, even when you feel like the world is crashing down on you, even when you feel like you're all alone, just being patient and waiting on God is exactly what he's called us to do. In Revelation 14, 12, it says this, here's the patience of the saints, the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Let me ask you this, just how patient are you in trials, in storms, in the fires of life? How patient are you when things aren't easy? How patient are are you when you don't know the next step, but yet the world is telling you just to go in one direction, but you aren't sure? How patient are you? Do you have enough patience to just simply wait and listen for what God is calling you to do next? Listen to me, church. Some of you walked in here today anxious. Patience was the farthest thing from your mind. It's not something you really wanted to talk about. But God this morning may be telling you and calling you just to sit, just to rely on him, to trust the process. Just be patient because whether we believe it or not, God does have a plan for your life. And he has lined out your every step. And we're looking at it from a stroke with a paintbrush kind of deal where we're watching it stroke by stroke being painted when God's already seen the final picture. He sees the masterpiece that is your life. And so many times we want to take control of the paintbrush and we're not patient. And when we do that, we begin to mess things up. We get out of line with what God has called us to do. How patient are you? Kindness. What does it mean to be kind in the life of a Christian? In 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, we read this, but We were gentle among you. We were kind among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. For you and I to be kind is for you and I to realize that we all require a degree of handling with care, so to speak, as you would a a kid. To deal with people in such a way that their needs and 
feelings are taken into consideration. And if you're like me, you jump to conclusions a lot and you're kind to people that you want to be kind to, you're kind to people who have been kind to you. But God has called and said, listen, you're, you're to be kind to, to everyone, not just to those who it's easy to be kind to, to that person who pushes your buttons, to that person who thinks differently than you, to that person who constantly calls you out. You name it. The person that makes your blood boil, God is saying, listen, as a believer, there should be a, a level of kindness that just radiates from you. That people actually desire to want to be around you. And it sounds so simple, yet it's so hard because we're all fallen, sinful human beings. But let me encourage you in this. Be kind, not just to those that it's easy, not to your children, to your husband, to your wife, maybe to some co-workers, but towards all people. Don't pick and choose. Because what would it have looked like if God picked and cho chosen who he was kind towards, who he showed grace towards? As we move along, I really got to hurry up. Um, goodness is, is, the, is the sixth one. This, the Greek there means kind of virtue or as defined as doing good or producing good in one's life. This acts of kindness and, and charity. And Paul is telling us here that, that as believers, as those in Christ, we're to do good even to those who do bad. That's pretty easy, right? Like we're all good at doing that, correct? Like... All of us excel at doing good to those who do bad to us. I'm sure all of us are knocking the ball out of the park on that one. I'm lying, because I'm not. And in Matthew 5.44, this verse here says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Look, do good to them that hate you, and pray for those who persecute you. What more challenging words can you and I read? But Paul is telling us here, the test of a true conversion in a believer is whether or not we can show goodness to those who are not naturally inclined to show goodness to us. Because if we're being honest, not everybody in the world's a believer. It'd be awesome if they were, but they're not. And so there are those people in the world that are inclined to not show good towards us. And Paul is telling us, listen, one of the fruits of the Spirit is goodness. That you, <clears throat> as a believer, ought to show goodness towards others, even those that don't show it back. And this right here is the complete opposite of what the world is preaching. The world tells us to get even, and God tells us to love. So where do you fall at this morning? Are you one of those that gets even? Are you one of those that goes with what the world says? Or are you one of those that looks at people and tries to see the good in it and shows them what it means to be a believer? How much goodness is in your life? What about faithfulness? What is faith? We could spend all morning talking about faith. We could spend months talking about faith. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, defines exactly what faith is for us. And it's a verse that so many of you probably know. But faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Literally, faith is its own proof of the validity and certainty of God's promises to his children. It literally is our proof that God will make good on the promises that he's promised to us. And if you aren't sure about that, then you can look all throughout scripture and see exactly how faithful God has been to his children. But so many of us say, Jamie, I'm a believer and I have faith. And I would say, that's awesome. You would say, yes, I've got great faith. When I got a promotion, when I got a raise, when I got all these things, but I will tell you this, my faith dwindles when I lose my job. My faith dwindles when a family member gets sick with a terminal illness. My faith dwindles when this happens or when that happens. That I've got faith in the good times, but I lack faith in the bad times. Church, hear me out on this. Faith isn't an option. As a believer, it's the groundwork for us. It's us telling God, God, we have faith in you that you're going to do what you say. We have faith in you that you love me as much as you say you do. We have faith in you that you're going to get us through this time in our life. And let me ask you this, how strong is your faith? More importantly, how strong is your faith when you feel alone in a storm of life and everything around you seems to be just blowing up? How's your faith? Are you one that has faith during all times of life? Are you one that loves to pick and choose the faith when you have faith? Paul's telling us, if you want people to know that you're a believer, be faithful. Have faith. Have faith in God. Be faithful to the church. Be faithful to the people you work with and so on and so forth. What about this idea of gentleness or meekness that he talks about here? You know, if you were to talk to the world about this, they would consider those who are gentle, those who are meek, weak, or a pushover. But church, hear me out when I tell you this. God desires us to be gentle, to be humble. And it's not necessarily how you handle people, although that is true, but it's also how you handle your attitude. And that's another thing that I'm not very good at. I'm not a very humble person. If you've ever met me, you probably know that. And it's one of the things that I've had to work on constantly. And, and I used to think, God, if I'm humble, that, that does show a weakness. It shows that I lack strength in this area. And then I remember distinctly that one of my student pastors pointed this out to me one time. And I had read the Bible before. And he says, check out Numbers 12, 3. And look what it says. Now the man Moses was very meek. But then look what God says about him. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. That God had a fondness of... Moses because of his humility that is not a sign of 
weakness. It's not a lack of strength, but really, truly, church, hear me out. It's us. It's you and me realizing that we have been called to approach not only God, but our neighbors with humility. Like we, we, a lot of times we don't have a problem approaching God with humility because he's God, right? But when it comes to approaching your neighbor with humility, we drop the ball. And so many Christians, when you, you ask people, hey, do you go to church? Nah, why not? Because I don't want to sit amongst a bunch of people who are arrogant. I said, you want to you go to one of the least humble places, go to a church on Sunday morning. That's what people used to always say. And the sad reality is it's probably kind of true. And I don't mean here, I just mean in general. Because so many of us struggle with this idea of meekness, this idea of, of gentleness. But Jamie, I have to defend for myself. No, remember this. It's not, it's not about you. It's you and me realizing that we can do nothing apart from Christ. But we can do all things through Christ. And when you begin to rely on Christ's strength, Christ comes out in your life. And as Christ overflows and comes out of your life, there's a humility and a humbleness about you that people should begin to notice. But Jamie, you, it's, it's hard. I, I'm, I'm prideful. And I understand that. But God has called us to show this humility. So let me ask you this, are you guilty of that? Are you guilty of of showing meekness? Are you one who is like me, a lot of times, who's arrogant, who's not humble? And the last thing is this, and it's not a very fun one to really talk about, self-control. In Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 27 it says this. I don't know if it's going to be on the screen or I can't remember. I said that last time. I don't remember if they put it on the screen. But verse, uh, starting in verse 26, it says this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And in verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's be real. We all lack self-control in some areas, okay? And I'm about to be... Very honest, although you're going to be like, well, it's not that honest. You, look at, you can look at me and tell that I lose self-control when I go to a buffet, okay? It's fairly obvious, all right? You know, double X shirt, whole shebang, you know. It's obvious that I've lost self-control a couple of times, okay? And, and I'm okay with that, all right, because I like to eat, all right? But some of us lose self-control on the road. I do that too, all right? Some of us... We lack self-control in our friendships. Some of us, we lack self-control at work. If we're being honest, some of us lack self-control when we're at home alone. And the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. That God has called us to have self-control. And according to Ephesians, it's self-control over our emotions as well as our actions. That the moment we lose self-control, we give opportunity to the devil. You give the devil an inch, he's going to take a foot. And the more you begin to do that, the more he begins to to come into your life. So many of us think we have control over everything. 
And we rely on ourselves, and the more we rely on ourselves, the more we lose self control. And Paul is saying, listen, if you're a believer, then you realize that God is in control. And when you try to take control from God, you lose it. Don't allow circumstances or situations to dictate your mood or demeanor. Don't. Don't allow those moments in life that you can easily give in to affect who you are, to affect your witness, because people will notice. Remain in control. Why? Because Christ is in you. And when Christ is in you, you've got something that people want to see. But so many of us pick and choose which fruit of the Spirit we want. I know that we just unpacked a whole heck ton. And we went through that super quick. But hear me out when I tell you this. None of these is more important than the other. Paul tells us they're all to be evident. This this isn't a multiple choice type recommendation from Paul. Like when I was in uh, school and we got a multiple choice test, I was ecstatic because that's 25% chance that I'm going to get the answer right, okay? Fill in the blank, 0%, all right? And sometimes teachers were good enough and liked us enough to where they would say, all right, we can easily, two of these is for sure not the answer, so then I got a 50-50 shot. But this isn't one of those moments. This is a must. Paul has given us guidelines for evidence of our relationship with Christ that people should see. This isn't, hey, I hope that you take this list of things and these characteristics, and I hope that maybe you'll apply these to your life. Maybe you'll be about it a little bit. That's not what Paul is saying, and that's not what Christ is saying. What he's saying is this, hey, if you truly love Jesus, if you truly believe what this Bible says, then these will be evident in your life. And if they're not, it breaks your heart, and you want to do everything you can to make sure that these are coming out of you in everyday life. So let me go back to the very beginning of this message. You're sitting in a courtroom and you just got done answering or asking you those questions. What will the judge's verdict be? Will it be guilty? You're a believer in Jesus and it shows. Or will it be not guilty? We aren't sure if this person is a believer or not what would it be for you this this moment right now what what would it be what would the ruling be guilty or not guilty and my prayer is that it would be guilty that you are guilty as you could be a sold out believer that when you leave this place people know it When you go to work, people know it. When you're at home, people know it. But what if it's not? We serve a God who shows grace. We serve a God who forgives. And as long as you're still breathing, God's still working. So maybe if it's not guilty, what areas are keeping you? guilty. Why don't you this morning, you just get on your face before God and say, God, these are the areas where I'm struggling, God, and you know that, but God, I pray that you would just come in. You would wreck my life. God, you would change me. God, so that people would know without a shadow of a doubt 
that I'm a believer. God, it's not about me, it's about you. I don't want people to know me. I want people to know you, God. Use me as that vessel. Would you pray with me? God, I just pray this morning. God, if people in this room would answer, I think the verdict would be not guilty for me, Jamie. The God, that they would get on their face before you right now in this very moment. They wouldn't wait another second. God, they would get right with you. God, you would call out the things in their lives that need to change. Maybe they're impatient. Maybe they lose self-control. Maybe they don't know what it means to really love people. But God, my prayer is that we as EVC would be known in this community. And I don't mean just the church building, but I mean the, the people that make up this great church would be known as guilty in this community. Guilty believers of Jesus Christ, ones who are not ashamed of the gospel. But God, if we're honest, some of us, we can't say that. So God, I pray this, this morning as Danny and the, the man sing this next song, God, that you would move in this place like you already had this morning. God, change us. God, do a work in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.